Welcome to Big Thinkers, Big Ideas. I'm Dr. Carla O'Dell, CEO of APQC, and in this series, I get to interview some of the most interesting people in the world. And today, I get to talk to Dr. Ed Hoffman, who is the Chief Knowledge Officer, abbreviated CKO, uh, for NASA which is the space agency for the United States. And Ed has a very unique perspective on how experts learn and how an enterprise as vast and varied as NASA can know what it knows. Those of you who are uh, longtime listeners and readers of, of the work that I do know how fascinated I am by this intersection of work and expertise and knowledge. So you can imagine why Ed is so interesting, because he was director of NASA's Academy of Program and Project and Engineering Leadership which he founded in 1995. So he's written numerous journal articles and co-authored NASA's Journey to Project Management Excellence, Shared Voyage, Learning and Unlearning from Remarkable Projects, and Project Management Success Stories and Lessons of Project Leaders. And of course, he's a, a teacher himself and is an adjunct professor at George Washington University. So Ed, we're gonna talk about what you've learned over these years and what it means to NASA and to our listeners. But let's start with the the basics first, because I think it's interesting context. Describe your role and uh, that of your knowledge management leaders in NASA. This is a pretty unique setup you have there. Yeah, and uh, enjoy again talking with you, Carla. I'm looking forward to this. Um, yeah, so obviously NASA, what's NASA about? NASA, fundamentally everything we do is about complex missions. Uh, it could be the International Space Station. It could be Mars programs. It could be new technologies. But the, the one of the things that's in common is that it's multidisciplinary people coming together to, to use their unique knowledge and skill and competency to, to take on really complex type work and missions. And so what's the role uh, that I see for a chief knowledge officer? Uh, number one is to keep the eye on the mission. I'm a real big believer that whatever we do when it was the director of the academy or uh, focus on knowledge services, ultimately they work if they link and reinforce the strategy of the mission uh, for what NASA is doing. Uh, second, what I try to do is to, to be an advocate for the workforce so that uh, specifically they can find and use the critical knowledge that they need to, to increase the likelihood of being successful uh, in an environment we have, which is really complex, a lot of interfaces, and uh, as we've seen, can be really unforgiving. That's terrific. And you've got a whole cadre of folks uh, in all the centers across NASA who help support you in this uh, mission. Yeah, we set up, uh, as you know, a federated model. Uh, and, you know, what we focus on in terms of our knowledge services strategy is four broad areas. One, we want to make sure that uh, the critical knowledge that, that our folks are seeking, that they can find it, that it's available. Um, that it's that it's you know visual, and so the access to information that could be the difference between success and failure. We also want to make sure that we're facilitating opportunities for improved collaboration and communication. Um, I'm a real big believer that the most important aspect of effective programs and projects, the most important component of good leadership, and the most important aspect of knowledge is collaboration and communication and having a culture that reinforces that and makes that that kind of sharing expected and applied. Uh, the third thing that we try to do uh, is that we look at, uh, try to identify some of the best practices. You know, for example, at Marshall Space Flight Center, they're really good at distilling lessons learned from their community. 
So we, we've leveraged that uh, at JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, they've done a wonderful job in terms of uh, really capturing lessons on video uh, in what they call JPL tube, which is accessible uh, you know, through different kinds of sources at, at God or the do cases. So we try to establish best practices from inside NASA, but also externally from industry, from partners, from universities, from APQC, and to bring them back to NASA so that our folks can, can find them and use them. And then uh, finally, I think what's important, we all are committed to improving maturity, getting better at what we're doing. What we know today, uh, we, we have to get better for tomorrow. And so that connects it to, to things like improvement and measurement and validating our approach. You say that it's really external forces that drive change. Can you give some examples from NASA? Yeah. It's, I mean, I can probably give my whole career examples. Um, you know, the funny thing is, so I got my doctorate, doctorate from Columbia University. And as I, you know, as a young guy going through the program, I was going through social organizational psychology with a heavy emphasis on teams and how do, how do leaders do things effectively. And I kind of left there with a model that organizations are rational and that, you know, if you, if you lay out the data, the information, uh, leaders will see it and then they'll change naturally. And you could almost preclude, uh, you know, challenges or, or external uh, problems if, if, if you do that well enough. My conclusion, my 31 years of work at NASA uh, and working with different organizations is that organizations really aren't, aren't logical, that for change to happen, there needs to be a strong, really external driver. And so let me give an example. Uh, you mentioned that uh, before becoming appointed the chief knowledge officer, I was the director of the NASA Academy for Program, Project, and Engineering Leadership. That came about over 20 years earlier as a result of the Challenger failure. And when, when Challenger, uh, when we dealt with that, that tragedy, one of the things that NASA really needed to start looking at was how are we developing our project management workforce? How are we preparing new careers? Up to then, there was a general notion, this goes back to the, to the late 80s, there was a general notion that the best leaders are born and, and training and learning and, and, and that doesn't really have an impact. When we went through that experience, there was a real reassessment. And so there's a whole focus on establishing this academy to focus on how individuals are prepared, to look at how teams are developed, and as a starting point, how do we share knowledge? And from that, we learned that, that we really needed to focus on development. Uh, a few years ago, I was appointed the NASA Chief Knowledge Officer, partly because uh, we experienced some, some near misses, some mishaps, we also found that one of the concerns we have in a project organization is, you know, project managers, engineers, scientists, they, they want to focus on their work, right? And so the, the notion of taking time to, to pause, to learn, to think about what's taken place and to share that is often a secondary, you know, kind of a, an attribute. And yet one of the key issues is, is where are people going to find the critical knowledge they need uh, as time goes by? to achieve and to, to maintain mission success. It can't just happen, happenstance. And there was also a congressional uh, panel called the Aerospace Safety Advisory Panel, which recommended to the NASA leadership saying, look, you know, you, you deal in knowledge and lessons really need to take place. And 
while we see good things going on, we see inconsistencies across the system, and we don't see an integrated process. And they recommended to the NASA Administrator, Charlie Bolden, to, to establish a knowledge focus that would be formal, that would be continuous, uh, that would be rigorous. And uh, based on that, NASA leadership uh, asked me to be the, uh, the first chief knowledge officer. And I can go through a lot of different examples, but what I've come to the conclusion is that significant change that, that's of more of the transformative nature. For example, the decision to form an academy of learning for programs, projects, and engineering, or the decision to really aggressively and formally uh, move out on a knowledge program really requires an external threat or force that really focuses leadership thinking and, and kind of drives the change in that direction. It also sounds like it takes, if you're talking transformation, you're talking about a very significant sort of foundation-shaking change externally to do that. It has to cause you to question, I really, uh, I think, what, how you're working today. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, um, kind of funny, the word unlearning, and never checked, I probably should have, uh, you know, whether it's in, in the, 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 the dictionary terms or anything like that, but uh, a number of years back, uh, I jointly wrote a book with Alex Laufer called Shared Voyage, Lessons, uh, uh, Learning and Unlearning from, uh, you know, from complex projects. And when I submitted that, the editor said, you got to take out the word unlearning because it doesn't make any sense. Everything is learning or, or not. I said, no. One of the things we see in organizations is that people develop tremendous expertise and competence. And then time goes by, and those, those competencies, not only they're not needed, but they sometimes slow us down, right, in terms of how we move ahead. And so one of the key things that goes on is how does an organization unlearn what it believes to be true? Again, I mean, 30 years ago when I joined NASA, the belief generally was that you, don't, you can't train or develop leaders. They're born. The great ones are born, right? And yet it was through a process of unlearning through different things that that, that myth went away. So uh, the same thing I think with change is true. The biggest challenge with change is people who've been successful. And again, an organization like NASA has had far, far more success than anything else. If you grow up in that environment, you don't understand why do you need to change anything. You know, why do you need to do things differently? What is this knowledge management stuff? What is this lessons learned? We didn't need to do that, you know, uh, you know previously. And so the, I think the external driver serves as a focusing point. It probably also for leaders, it focuses attention in terms of fear that, wow, we, you know, we don't want to have problems externally. And that kind of, I think, can serve as a starting fuel to allow the organization to unlearn old practices that are no longer effective and be open to, to learning new ones, where when things are going fine, um, you know, organizationally, there's, there's no reason to burn energy there. Ed, I'm fascinated by this concept of unlearning. I think there's really something to this. You must find that NASA has to unlearn some of its own habits when you partner with other organizations to fulfill your missions in space. I know that NASA's doing a lot of partnering now with even commercial organizations. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you discover as the differences, the cultural and knowledge differences, and how NASA has to change? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that's a, actually a great an, a example. And one of the reasons I do believe why NASA, you know, in terms of my career, has been really responsive uh, to, to different concepts of change and to, to development and to learning is that there, there is at the core a realization that nothing stays the same. Um, in general, every project it has a uniqueness, uh, and the challenges uh, are always new, right? And so learning is the separation between uh, getting better and succeeding or eventually failing and going away. The other thing in terms of partnering, the key part of NASA is probably why I emphasize in the knowledge part the collaboration and the, uh, the, the integration, you know, with the learning is that NASA, 90% of NASA's mission is done through industry. A real important concept. 90% of our work is done through industry. And it's never just one industry organization. It's usually for a typical mission dozens and dozens of small and large organizations that are part of a really complex supply chain. 80% of our missions are international partnerships and all that that implies. And everything we do is for science, so it's academia. So it's a very, it's a, it's an interesting organization that has a lot of potential for complexity and for problems. And so the ability to adapt with organizations, with people who have different cultures, um, different terms, you know, mean, or the same terms mean different things. And that's one of the challenges we've had in the last number of years, uh, where NASA is in a situation where we're trying to extend the community of organizations that work space. And so you see uh, really entrepreneurial new startup organizations like SpaceX and Orbital, uh, you know, Sciences and, uh, and, uh, and Virgin and, and different organizations that are starting up. And they, like all startups, they have much more of an entrepreneurial feel to, to running a mission, which has implications for cost and schedule and the amount of risk and innovation but also the discipline approach. And NASA's always been reliant on, you know, uh, some traditionally great organizations, you know, whether it's Boeing's, Lockheed's, uh, Northrop, uh, BAE. I mean, you can go through a whole list. And they, they, like NASA, have been around a long time. And as you're around a long time, the advantage is you learn a lot. You form typically a lot of governance and policies, and those help you to, to fail less but they can also build uh, sclerosis. They can build more uh, factors that lead to uh, cost and slow things down. So you have to get into an active dialogue with all your partners about what's the nature of this mission? How much risk do we want to, to take? Uh, how fast does it need to get done? How are we going to approach issues of innovation and technology? And as you come with that, you, you start defining what the requirements are you really got to look closely at the requirements in terms of issues of the cost and the schedule and the technology and the, the, the risk and the innovation. And then it's an ongoing from start to finish uh, and probably beyond the dialogue of how do we work together? Because, uh, you know, without question, we've done this with some of the Master with Masters we've done. We had, I think, one that you saw where we had a representative from SpaceX and one from NASA talking about the different approaches. And they both can really reinforce each other, but there has to be heavy collaboration and dialogue. So a key thing, and to me this is the most exciting part about knowledge, 
in, in, in this 21st century is that the complexity comes from the diversity of people, teams, and organizations having to work together. And if you work together effectively with respect, with inclusiveness, with dialogue, much more likely to succeed. And if you work in perhaps a, a much more traditional approach of hierarchy and right or wrong, you're, you're going to fail. So, but it's a fascinating area. You bring to mind, Ed, when you're talking about this, the longstanding research findings that diverse teams tend to be more creative than homogeneous teams. And uh, put a plug in for our knowledge management speakers uh, at our knowledge management conference, uh, Alex Pentland is going to be talking about the role of collaboration and diversity in creativity in groups uh, based on a lot of research he's done at MIT. So the social physics of that have been borne out by research, and I think you're absolutely correct. The, the possibility of new ideas and new creativity coming into NASA from those partnerships is fantastic, but only if you have the skills to harvest it. So that brings me to another question, which is how do you uh, – decide what knowledge is critical out of that massive knowledge that's being created in, in NASA every day, of every kind of knowledge you can imagine. How do you decide who to ca how to capture it, who to share it with, and how to not overload people uh, so that they can't figure out the signal from the noise? And that's a, a perfectly timed question, Carl, uh, because one of the uh, – one of the actions I received. So I mentioned that um, you know we get uh, thoughts from a congressional panel called ASAP Aerospace Safety Advisory Panel, and uh, May of last year, one of the questions was: Is how do you go about NASA, um, you know, formally identifying your critical knowledge, and, and 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 making sure that that's within your standards and policies, and and also the learning platform of how you prepare your people. And I have to tell you, I mean, I've been, as you know, I've been there a long time, but I had to stop and think about, okay, what is our critical knowledge? Because there's so much of competence and knowledge that goes into projects. There's hundreds of different aspects of engineering and science, and, 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 and can you get it down there? The, the way I felt I needed to do that is I started uh, interviews, and I did what, what I refer to as the seven interviews. And uh, at NASA, again, I go back to the mission. What's the mission about? We have four what we call mission directorates. Uh, they span human exploration, uh, science missions, uh, technology, and uh, aeronautics. And they have, have obviously then slightly different, uh, you know, different missions and focuses. So I scheduled uh, interviews with the heads and with leaders from each of those organizations uh, as well as with the chief engineer, with the head of safety and missions, and with human capital. And I basically asked that question, can you identify a top 5% of broadly applicable knowledge and lessons that the entire workforce should be aware of? They struggled with it at first, and then the, the, the discussions really started. And um, what I'll say is ended up coming away with, with you know, hundreds of different comments and they factored into four areas, and they, they, you know, when you look at it, you know, you know, I should have expected it. Uh, one career was people. Critical knowledge around people and knowledge is that everyone in an organization, and and, and really, I think your partners need to 
you know, buy into a notion of you need to be able to say whatever is on your mind. You need to be honest. You need to be able to be comfortable to say things that, that maybe uh, you're worried about saying. So it's the culture dimensions, the people. It's how we work together. A second uh, set of themes that came up was process. And process was, you know, we have ways of how we do things. Are they up to date and are they, are they right? And are we using them? And if not, why? The third was the issue of basically technical expertise. And, uh, again, this ties closely to the mission. Uh, you have different, in any organization, you have different disciplines and occupations that really are critical for being successful. And uh, we want to make sure that we have expertise and learning in those areas. And then the fourth that came out, which was a lot of discussion, was around what I call the, the knowledge equation, which is are we doing things to make sure that our people are capable and professional in how we approach knowledge? And that could be understanding case studies, that could be, you know, after-action reviews, that could be communities, and all it means to, to know how to work knowledge. So to go back to your question, how do we go about identifying critical knowledge, is uh, we started with those interviews of the key organizational leaders. Uh, I've now had uh, buy-in so that we're going to start what we're calling a knowledge referee process, where uh, a couple of times a year we'll set up a meeting with these leaders and we'll prepare them with prior technical reports, uh, mishaps, uh, findings, uh, project reviews. We'll distill it from the centers, and we'll have a discussion uh, with that leadership and listen to what they feel. These are the most critical things we want the entire workforce to be on top of. And then we'll make sure that our policies and standards are up to date, and I think even more importantly, we'll look to infuse that in our learning platforms. So it's a long answer, but but it's a it's a key topic for us because you're absolutely right. Um, our initial approach is try to capture everything, and you know once you capture everything, nothing stands out and people get overloaded and nothing nothing becomes more important than anything else. So it's a it's a big challenge though. You know I I think that organizations are still struggling with it and the approach you're taking is just as valid as many that I have seen. I especially like the uh, once you've gathered what might be the candidate critical knowledge is having a conversation with the leadership about it because that really leads to uh, their ability to advocate for the knowledge management practices that will cause people to actually access it. In other words, if they say this is the critical knowledge, they're your evangelists now to tell people and you need to go find it and here's how you go find it. And, you know, what do you tell the leaders they can do to support knowledge management? And it's the knowledge flow inside NASA. What do you suggest they do? So, and again, timely, because I had this discussion with uh, the leadership yesterday. You know, so I go around to each center. And um, I think the most important, you know, part of my role is to listen to the, uh, to the workforce, listen to the engineers, listen to the project folks, listening to the people in the field. And I'll ask them two questions every time. First question I ask is, what is it that NASA is doing well, that leadership is doing well, that you want them to know about so they keep doing it? And then the second is, what are you frustrated with? Uh, overwhelmingly, uh, the answer to that first question of what, what do they want leadership to know that they like and want more of is access to leadership and experts. Access to leadership and experts. They really value 
at NASA when leadership and managers take their time to talk to them about anything that's going on, about their views, about their experiences. Uh, I'll give you an example. So I work for the, the NASA chief engineer, currently is Ralph Rowe. Ralph was a part of the mission team when we had the, uh, the Columbia tragedy. And um, last year, um, so NASA set up an organization, the NASA Engineering Safety Center, which kind of troubleshooting excellence. I mean, in, in knowledge world, would call them uh, really uh, technical experts for their distinct communities, and we have that with every organization. So it was an anniversary, I think, of 10 years of the organization, and he decided to go around to all of the locations and just express his, his, his story about the impact of Columbia on him, what he learned from it. It was very, very, um, yeah, very touching, very, uh, very heartfelt. People to this day keep talking about, boy, we'd like more of that. We want our leaders to, to talk to us about when things go well, about when things fail. Uh, Chris Galise, another one of our uh, excellent leaders, he's the, currently the Goddard Center Director, and he will take time going around talking to groups about not just the successes but failures. He'll talk about um, you know, a real painful uh, failure we had on a NOAA N Prime mission where the uh, satellite was on the ground. It wasn't bolted in properly, the wrong bolts. It fell on the floor and it, you know, I mean, it cost millions of dollars of damage. And it was, uh, it was, it was just a, a profound series of mistakes. So, what I think is most important, what I ask leadership is, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to. Uh, filled me with big budget. You don't have to um, really try to get everything on technology and, and systems right. But what you really need to do is you need to feel that the workforce is important enough so that you take the time to talk with them. And the other part of it is that leadership needs to know that the lessons and their experiences and stories are incredibly valuable. I've had a lot of leaders who said, I don't have anything to say or and 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 then that's that's a real big mistake. What most important thing leaders do for an organization to create a culture of sharing and openness and storytelling and effective knowledge is that they're engaged with their people. They sit there, they talk, they interview, they do what we're doing right now. You know, they have a chat. Uh, that to me is the first, second, and third, the most important thing that they can do. That's I think that's a beautiful thing because just by sitting and talking with people, that's when. The, uh, they're modeling the kind of candor you need, the uh, how important human interaction is, which certainly is in these complex complex projects, which are very, as you said, multidisciplinary, but also multicultural. Th they model the behavior by doing it, and I think that's very powerful. That that's what people want more of. Yeah, I'd also say if I look at. And um, you know, you'd be embarrassed by this, but in terms of what I see in terms of APQC with your leadership is that you're always engaged. I've worked with different associations. I've worked with different managers and leaders. And some of them, for whatever reason, they feel that they, they don't need to be there. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll let their people do everything. Um, but it's really become a conclusion that I've formed that the most effective project managers, leaders, systems engineers, and heads of organizations are those who... I guess because they're interested in what they're doing, they, they choose to be engaged. And one of the things uh, in terms of with APQC, you're, you're always there. And you always bring a lot of energy. And, um, and I'm sure you're, you know, that, that creates a positive form of exchange for your people. So, so I think that's vital. Oh, I hope so, Ed. And the message I would give to other leaders uh, is 
how rewarding it is. Do it for your own reasons. It pay, it's just an enormously rewarding way to work. And thank you for noticing. It's a, oh, yeah. It matters to me, and that's the kind of organization that we are, too. So on that positive note, I think I have to uh, let time bear us out of here, because that's all the time we have today. And thank you, uh, Ed. It's been just terrific. Uh, I want to ask our listeners and readers to join me to in thanking Dr. Ed Hoffman for joining us on Big Thinkers, Big Ideas. If you would like to learn more about APQC, please go to our website, www.apqc.org, and you'll find many case studies about NASA's knowledge management efforts there as well. So thank you for listening, and have a great day.